Hi, and welcome to Edge with Dr. Stephen Brown. This podcast series focuses on the story, the personal narrative of Australians who have pushed at the edge. They have been pioneers who are doing amazing things that are a little bit different to the everyday. Sometimes their stories are told and well celebrated, and sometimes these stories are reasonably well hidden. Dr. Stephen Brown is a highly regarded leader in the education sector, both in Australia and internationally. He is the Managing Director of the Brown Collective and has a strong interest in people and getting to know their stories. He has developed this podcast series to introduce you to some of Australia's finest citizens. Welcome, everybody. It's my great pleasure to welcome to this episode of Edge. Lisa Messenger, from my introductory comments, which will do her no justice, a CEO, social influencer, innovator and entrepreneur. Welcome, Lisa. Is that how you see yourself? All of the above, except the influencer bit. I don't love that word and I certainly would never refer to myself as that. But um, yeah, I mean, we could delve deeper into the whys and wherefores of that. But the rest of it, yes, pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll hold that space. But going back um, to uh, your formative years and uh, take us on the journey from Kula, which is a lovely little town um, in the Warren Bungles um, near Dunedoo and uh, Dubbo and uh, three hours from Sydney, over three hours from Sydney. How does this uh, wonderful story of Lisa Messenger take uh, shape from Kula, the Sydney boarding school, to Southern Cross University take us on that journey? Uh, well, how long have we got? And that's my dog barking in the background just to give you the country roots, <laughs> keep mm-hmm. it real. Uh, so Kula back in the day was, I think, about a seven-hour drive from Sydney. I think the roads are better these days. But, yeah, I grew up on a four-and-a-half-thousand-acre property about 20 minutes from the small township of Cooler, which I think had population around 800. I don't think it's changed much in all those years. And, yeah, I grew up with a very humble, grounded lifestyle, riding my horse every day after school, getting pig rooted off most days and learning through the hard knocks, bit of edge there, and uh, and kind of making mud pies in the creek. And then I went to boarding school in Sydney and, yeah, and can kind of continued on from there, but very much relate to kind of having a country or rural background and still love having many plants and animals in my life. I think it's important for all of us to stay grounded with, with something. You started work as a writing instructor and um, tell us a little bit about that, any comical moments or was uh, something you followed your immediate passion or background from the country or just where you could get a job? Many comical moments. <laughs> yeah, so I was one of these people and I know the theme here is edge that and some of your listeners slash viewers will relate to this. Through school, I felt like only in hindsight that the school system at the time was very kind of convergent as opposed to divergent. And I felt like I was always getting in trouble for asking why and how and, you know, and so a lot of my school years I spent outside of the classroom. I remember fondly, not so fondly, my maths teacher, Mr Kamarami, literally picking me up while I was still sitting on my chair 
and carrying me outside and plonking me down and closing the door on me. And it's kind of interesting. So I couldn't wait after I left school to get on a plane and go and explore the world. I'd actually never, even though I went to a private school, we were probably kind of the one of the poorest families in the richest schools. And so a lot of people around me had been traveling overseas all through my schooling. And I didn't actually ever go overseas until I left school at age 18. And I think that was actually brilliant for me because I wasn't tainted in any way. Everything was new. Everything was edgy. And the one thing that I'd always been passionate about was riding. So, yeah, I got to England and started teaching horse riding. They didn't love my um, Aussie style so much. I think they thought I was a bit of a bogan. The English had a very much more proper way of riding than me, but it was absolutely brilliant. And I stayed overseas for two years and had some extraordinary experiences. And one thing that I didn't, it's only in hindsight, and I don't know why I did it at the time, was I said to my parents, I don't want any money to go overseas. And they took it very seriously. And I'd lost my voice before I got on the plane. And my mother literally handed me um, a packet of throat lozenges and said, off you go. (laughs) And I was speaking to her recently. And I said, why did you do that? And it's interesting, and I'm very grateful to my parents that they didn't hand me things on a silver platter. They gave me a great education for sure. But mum reminded me that I was traveling for a couple of weeks in Ireland when I was over there. And she said that I rang her and said, I've completely run out of money. And she said to me, well, eat potatoes. They're really cheap. And (laughs) they kind of cover all the food groups. And I said, you really said that to me? And she said, yeah, I did. And I think Potentially, that's what has given me an edge and a yearning to not rely on other people and to really, from a very formative age, actually, you know, hustle and really work out what it is that I want and go after it. And the notion of going after it, I mean, setting up um, the Messenger Group in 2001 and uh, still going strong after 20 years, that's a, a fabulous uh, you know, achievements. So many of those things you just talked about that have sustained you and formed you as a person, uh, resilience, courage, pushing at the boundaries. Um, I mean, those are the things that seem to uh, suit the environment in which you work and sustaining your business for that long. There have been some challenges along the way. Do you want to take us uh, through um, how does this wonderful, uh, successful company taken from inception to where it is today so well I'm glad you said that thank you because as you were saying you know very successful 20 years on there have certainly been some blips <laughs> along the way and I think those are the things that teach us to be stronger and I believe that resilience is in fact a learned muscle and so really throughout my career and that trajectory is I started my first business on the 22nd of October 2001 and you know set up shop bright-eyed and (laughs) bushy-tailed a lot of naivety as many people do when they're starting out and then proceeded really for the next almost 11 years to over service undercharge be everything to everyone not have a lot of systems and processes in place and as a result couldn't really work out how to scale and so hit a level of frustration and it wasn't really a particularly clever way to run a business but what came out of that was actually brilliant because I think any of us if we hit a certain point where we're kind of I don't know cranky or you know over ourselves or comfortable you know there's a whole myriad of different things that can propel us into 
being better, doing better. And in my case, by 2012, I was actually had a very profitable business, but I was kind of doing the same thing almost on repeat on a daily basis. I was primarily doing custom publishing for books and, you know, had a branding agency. And I was kind of bored, you know, so I don't think money in and of itself doesn't excite me at all. And I got to a point where I'd been an entrepreneur, I had my own businesses for a period of time. And there were so many people around me who were saying, I don't understand, you know, um, all these behind closed doors conversations around supply chain or finding your purpose or getting funding or, you know, your why, like all these different things. And I just thought, this is crazy. Like in the media, a lot of people are telling, you know, fabulous stories about Stephen's done this and isn't he fabulous? But I was left a bit like when I was at school, shaking my head going, but why, but why, but how, but how, how did he get there? What were the steps? And so I decided to launch a print magazine and I launched it in March, 2013. And that was, and remains to this day, kind of a crazy thing to do. And this really took me to a big edge. <laughs> I entered an industry that was highly saturated. At the time, there were five and a half thousand print magazines in Australia alone, highly saturated industry. People said the print industry was dead or dying. Whilst I'd been creating books, uh, they're very one-dimensional in comparison to a magazine and quite easy as it turns out. So I didn't have any experience and like there was everything stacked against me. But what I did have was this enormous belief that I wanted to create something to share the story behind the story, to be real, raw, relatable and attainable, to give voice to entrepreneurs and business leaders and people doing good in the world and also to inspire and educate people. And so upon me, I launched what was Collective Hub print magazine and within 18 months it was in 37 countries and <laughs> it was like something really worked and I went from a staff of three almost overnight to a staff at full-time staff of 34 and suddenly within a short period of time found myself at the helm of something rather large and we can talk through why that didn't necessarily work out for the first three years it was one of the most well was definitely the most exciting thing I'd ever done to date I had an email one day in the subject line it said from the office of Anna Wintour who anyone knows Devil Wears Prada or the September issue she's kind of the global doyen of publishing she asked me to go meet with her in New York a similar email from Richard Branson I went and spent time on Necker Island with him I've since shared the stage three four times with him now in various parts of the world so everything was incredible except I didn't know what I didn't know and suddenly I found myself at the helm of a multi multi-million dollar business that was in 37 different geographic locations multiple revenue streams and I'm probably quite a great founder I'm a great visionary I'm a good leader I'm good at putting teams together I'm terrible I mean, I can do it, but I'm not great at, you know, the operational side of things, HR, finance, legal, IT. <laughs> and when you grow at that exponential pace, I wasn't set up in terms of systems processes and started hemorrhaging cash. And so I found myself in the midst of an extraordinary brand, but underneath it really wasn't sustainable. So um, I've made many changes since, broke it in order to remake it and things are certainly much better and much stronger but yes I've had I've had many more failings than I've had successes over the last 20 years and and I have gone to the edge 
more often than not. And just to round that out, my CFO or external CFO at the time of launch <laughs> had to break up with him. He'd been with PwC at the time for 24 years or something. And he said to me, I've never seen anyone take as many risks as you're taking. And I said, Greg, you just got to trust me. I'm going to do this. And I ended up having to say, I just, you don't understand. I've got this clear vision. And yeah, certainly had some blips along the way, but now it's it's stronger than ever. And I think a lot of people are afraid be it through ego, um, identity, a myriad of other things, to actually be courageous enough to start something and in equal measure be courageous enough to finish something if, in fact, it's not serving the purpose that you started out and intended it to have. Yeah, um, that, that's just an amazing uh, insight. I mean, some of your tips for success, for example, there's this whole question about fail fast and also you say about the why. I mean, uh, that resonates. So I guess in all of that, where 2017 was a critical year, as you say, and why did it go so well, do you think? If you were to say, stand back from it, and let's be indulgent a bit, why did it go really well? What had connected Branson and uh, Devil Wears Prada and Winter? Why? I think it's actually not that complex. If you create something extraordinary, whether it be good content, a great product, something that you know has a really great purpose that's bigger than yourself, uh, I think that's number one. Number two, I think, and I've always said this, even though I may own a brand financially or business or whatever the thing is financially. I don't own it. I really believe that particularly in the digital age and, you know, with social media and everything else, if you allow people to have a sense of belonging to whatever it is that you create, they will carry the message proudly for you. And I really experienced literally overnight, I went to bed when I launched the magazine and I woke up to something like almost, I think, 600 emails in my inbox. I went from complete obscurity and no one really knew or cared who I was to being courageous enough to launch something. And literally just overnight, these things just started happening. It was quite extraordinary, you know. So I talk about an 11-year overnight success. I do a lot of speaking to corporates. And I think what I would say is this, that, that so many people create a product and they take the thing to the consumer and the consumer or their audience, their customer only sees one part of it. They just see the widget or the product. My strong belief actually unwaveringly in every single cell in my body is if you take people on a journey and you tell them the story and you actually talk authentically and vulnerably about the process then people will fall in love with your brand. And I think too many corporates get it wrong where they just show the thing. And actually, the thing might be a great product, but if there's no story or no connection or no authenticity, then I think that's where things don't work out so much. And I'm, I hope and I think we're starting to see that people are trying to take their customers on a journey more and be a little bit more vulnerable and show their failures and their shortcomings and admit when they're wrong. And I really hope that that continues to be a trend. And you can see when people are just doing it because they think they should and when actually they're showing, I think, the full story. And it's interesting, throughout the 54 issues of Collective Hub Print Magazine, I decided to close the print magazine in April 2018. I'm looking at bringing back two issues at the end of this year, but that's another story. I think we did over 6,000 interviews 
I didn't do them myself, my team did, but we would have on a daily basis people coming to us just wanting to tell the, oh, here's the bright, shiny widget, you know, whatever it is, a glass, makeup brand, clothing brand, whatever it was. And I was like, forget it. Let's just agree that it's a great widget. Let's just agree that. Now tell me your story. Why did you start? How did you start? What do you stand for? How are you making a difference in the world? What's your supply chain? And I think when you tell that story, people become connected. So that's that's really simple, I think. In all of that, you tell people to start with a why, the cynic and other notions and it's very strong you've written a book one of 400 books which refers to that <laughs> i haven't written four i've written like 30 something i think but i but i published around 400 for other people in that iteration of my business when i looked at the number that you've uh, either authored or published i'm astounded but this whole question of uh, when i talk to people it's a uh, the Japanese talk about ikigai in terms of what gives you purpose. So what gets you out of bed every day and really focused on what's your why? I love this question. Thank you. Mine is very simple and I think it will be this until the day that I die. So for me personally, it's to be an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs, living my life out loud, showing that anything's possible. Now, what that means is very much every single day when I get out of bed, I have a purpose that I'm driving towards and that's in three parts. What's interesting about that is as an entrepreneur, business leader, you know, many people, thought leaders around the world, we see bright, shiny things and, you know, you and I could have a conversation and I could say, Stephen, amazing, let's do it. That's my natural propensity. But when I go back to what is it that I'm here to do, it's a great litmus test to go, no, that doesn't fit. No, that doesn't fit. That doesn't fit. That doesn't fit. But it also, as well as giving me a, a very precise focus, it also allows me to pendulate between delivery mechanisms. And I think this is really, really important in business, particularly with external factors that we can't control, be they economic or, you know, political, racial things like COVID. I mean, so many things that are beyond our control. But what we can control is if we know what our purpose and our why is, we can start to move between different delivery mechanisms. So essentially for me, it's around print product, digital product and events. So when something like COVID hit, I was doing a lot of big speaking events all over the world. I'm in a fortunate position now. So it enabled me to move quickly to creating more digital content and then a lot more print product. And I think where a lot of people get it wrong, and we've seen a number of different examples um, throughout history from a number of different industry sectors, is if people don't understand what their why is, Kodak, for example, maybe, and then they're just creating a product, they're unable to move, you know, morph, iterate, pivot, change between delivery mechanisms. And so I always say to people, and Daniel Laporte and Simon Sinek have done a lot of wonderful work around this, like what's the feeling that you want your customers to have or your audience to have or people that you're connecting with? And if you start with, you know, your purpose and the feeling that you want them to have, then it actually becomes quite exciting because we're able to move between different modalities. And I think, you know, a lot of the speaking that I do now in particular is about future-proofing your business. And so I think it's, again, pretty simple, like know what you stand for, know what your purpose is, 
and then work out what are the different delivery mechanisms that you can move between. And I think certainly 2020 taught us, particularly if you were a traditional bricks and mortar business, um, hospitality, weddings, hairdressers, you know, a number of different other people, if you didn't have some kind of digital component or a different um, ability to make money, other revenue streams, then, you know, potentially your doors were closed pretty quickly. And so whilst 2020 was pretty hideous for a myriad of reasons, I think it was also great in terms of taking us to our edge and really you know, making people have to innovate. It turbocharged the ability to innovate, I think, uh, whereas other people might have just thought, oh, I'll have a digital strategy. I'll just develop it over the next five years. Suddenly, if we didn't have something like this, you know, it, it, we fell in a heap. So, yeah, I think all of this is important. And uh, that sort of resonates because I think there are positive and negatives COVID, you know, one of it's become an accelerant for some yeah. things you just talked about with an entrepreneurial innovative headset or edge um, pushing some of the agendas a bit further and faster than uh, perhaps we would in so-called inverted commas normal times. So looking at, uh, well, you know, 2021, uh, so a year coming out hopefully of COVID, personally and professionally, let's start with you, Lisa. What are your hopes and dreams and what do you want to achieve next? Because, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of celebration, acknowledgement of you and what you've done. What's up ahead for you? Thank you. Well, interestingly, I just stay true to my purpose, which is, you know, really helping entrepreneurs and other business leaders. And so I'm creating a lot of inspirational and educational content. So at the moment, I have a whole series of books and journals um, in print and digital formats around living your best life and working from wherever. And I've got a book called Purpose and many different things like that. And that brings me a lot of joy and I always use myself as a conduit whatever I'm going through I like to talk about what's and all because I think that's how we actually help other people so more of all of that but the beauty is now after closing the print mag in April 2018 I decentralized my office after 17 years of having a bricks and mortar office and so the beautiful thing is and you asked me at the beginning of the chat am I in Bondi or Byron today, I feel very fortunate that it's taken a lot of adjustment and letting go of my ego, but my staff um, are all freelance. They all work from wherever they want. They work on KPIs and output as opposed to bum on seat and time in office, and it's given me a lot more flexibility. So, yeah, lots more inspirational and educational products and projects coming your way this year. And I'm very, very excited. It's a much more freeing and liberating place to be. And for years, even though I'd like to think I was living on the edge and I was always an entrepreneur, being in a bricks and mortar office for 17 years kind of hamstrung me to a certain degree. So coming down to personal uh, goals, Lisa, it's... Um... You know, when borders open, you're going back to Ireland to run out of money and eat potatoes. What are you, is there any personal goals there? I see an Instagram of you uh, taking a break after 17 years of working every day and um, at four o'clock taking a relaxing break. Uh, Actually going to the beach, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love creative pursuits. So something that I'm going to do this year is actually renovate a house that I bought in Bangalore near Byron Bay 11 years ago. So that's that's a nice thing to do. But also on quite a full-on fitness journey in the last four months or so, and I'm loving that. I'm loving kind of 
again, pushing myself and seeing just how fit and healthy I can get. And all of these things fit within my overarching purpose to show other people uh, you know, that anything's possible really. So there are a few personal projects for me, but yeah, I, I just love, I love creating, I love sharing and I love supporting and inspiring others. So if you're, uh, it's very difficult, but it's um, a couple of words of inspiration for others who have watched your journey, both of frustration, resilience and ultimate success, what would your couple of words be to aspiring entrepreneurs or people who are inspired by your wonderful journey? I would say anything is possible. And I would say that we need to try and train our brains to have a mindset flip. So whenever anything, you know, bad comes at us, rather than think this is happening to me, just change your mindset to say this is happening for me. And then look at what are the lessons in it. Because this I know for sure. There are things that come at us every single day that are beyond our control and all we can control is how we respond to them. Absolutely well said. And um, and thank you, uh, Lisa Messenger, CEO, innovator and entrepreneur and uh, very authentic, very real and somebody I greatly admire and uh, so many others do. And uh, congratulations on your journey and thanks for your contribution to this episode in the series called Edge. We wish you all the very best and what should be another great chapter in your fine journey thus far thank you Stephen. much appreciated and i'm glad you removed the word influencer <laughs> thank you for joining us today you can follow dr Stephen brown on linkedin and twitter on at dr Stephen brown one please join us next time for another episode of edge